The views and opinions expressed in the following episodes are those of the individuals and are not meant to insult or offend anyone. Jeez, dark and gloomy much? Are you trying to be an edgelord? Well, then how should I put it then? I don't know. How about... We come in peace. We mean no harm. We may spoil some things. We may swear a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So listener discretion is advised. a little nerdy. I'm your host Michelle. And I'm your co-host Owen. And today our episode is on the Titanic. All aboard for (laughs) the unsinkable ship. Yeah. (laughs) All right so before we get started shout out to our friend Black White Check intro and outro music you know the details uh in they'll be in the show notes. Yeah you bet. All right so um also uh, happy belated kind of Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales and everything like that, because I can imagine everyone's doing all that stuff right now as of recording. Oh, yeah, probably, for sure. Uh, but, yeah, anyways, uh, hope, uh, one thing I got to say that's really positive about uh, the whole Cyber Monday thing compared yeah. to Black Friday is that apparently it seemed like, or at least it used to feel like the whole Black Friday, Black Friday weekend sale and everything was that, man... It went from, like, a big shopping extravaganza to full-on, like, street-level MMA fights. Mm-hmm. Like, the people literally, like, throwing each other around and trying to curb-stomp each other. And it's just like, guys, you know, calm down. It's just, just an object. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some people, uh, they get very passionate about certain things like that. Yeah, Definitely. Okay, we're just uh, clicking around a few fine-tuned details. So when you Sorry. hear the mouse clicking and everything, it's just, that's all that's going on. Okay, so. Yes. Um, the Titanic. Yeah. Now, personally, when I hear that name, I think of a very large thing yeah. going horribly, horribly wrong. You would be right. Like, kind of like that saying, too big to fail. It's like, no, no, no. Nothing is too big to fail. Things can always go horribly, horribly wrong. It's just the bigger they are, yeah. the bigger the mistake will be and the worse it gets. Absolutely. What do you think when you hear about the Titanic? Sad. Yeah. I think sad. I think avoidable in a lot of ways. <laughs> and sad. No, that's fair because... Um, the history of, like, <clears throat> kind of what happened. Yeah. It sounds like it was the perfect storm of everything fucking up. Exactly. It's pretty much <clears throat> what it was. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, this, the Titanic set sail before World War One, right? Yeah. In 1912. So this was before uh, any kind of, like, Great Depression or any kind of, like, since the world First World War hadn't happened, industrialization was becoming such a big, grand thing that everyone was like, oh, we're going to have ships so big and blah, 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 and all these incredible things that, you know, beforehand would have seemed like something straight out of a fairy tale. Yeah, pretty much, right? Like, <clears throat> so the Titanic was um, 
actually a part of a Olympic class line of ships that White Star wanted. Which I gotta say, that's just such a badass sounding name. Olympic class. You hear that and you just picture Mount Olympus, Zeus, and Athena, and Hera, and uh, Hades, and all these Greek gods of mighty power and strength, (laughs) and just like, yeah, it's like... And, uh, sorry, that's, uh, I just wanted to say, like, you're brilliant, because I absolutely think that that's what the White Star Line wanted people to think, right? This was meant to be a luxury class set of boats, or liners, right, that were going to outdo... Everything beforehand. Everything beforehand. And the reason they came up with it actually is because some other boat line companies had been making nicer ships than what they had. So Mm -hmm. they were like, oh, well, screw them. We will make the finest of the ships. (laughs) Right? That's essentially what they... And they're like, we'll come up with these master plans, right? We want these three... They commissioned three big ships. Yep. Right? Uh, The Olympic, the Titanic, and the... Oh, come on, you got this one? Mm-hmm. I don't know it, but I know you've said it before. I know I've said it before. I had to look it up, which I'm ashamed about, but I got it right before I finished looking it up. Yeah. The Britannic. It's literally that case of, like, just as you're about to get the answer, you remember, and you're like, oh, of course. Yes. And stuff. So those were the three ships, right? And these were meant to be luxury liners. They had... You know, uh, state-of-the-art kind of, like, gyms on them, swimming pools on them, right? They were massive, massive ships, right? And stuff. And also along with it, like, the Titanic received the RMS. Um, RMS. RSM? No, RMS. Royal Mail Service. Oh, okay, okay. Classification. I was thinking of uh, HMS. Her Majesty, or Her Majesty's Service, or mm. something like that. Something that the uh, British used to use, or I think they still use, yeah. in naming or designating their naval ships. Yeah, no, she wasn't a naval ship. No, 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 but I was just thinking that that title, the abbreviation. Yeah. No, R- <clears throat> RMS, which was Royal Mail Service. So along with all the passengers that were going to be on the ship, there was also going to be tons of mail headed from, like, Eng- England and Ireland and whatever over to America. Yeah, I'm just thinking, I bet you there's probably somebody who, um, as as horribly tragic as the whole event was and everything, the people back in, like, England and Ireland, you know, someone was like, oh, I'll send, uh, you know, some, or, I'll send Agnes, uh, me less, uh, bit of pounds and everything to help them through their tough times and everything. Oh, I'll send it aboard the Titanic. It, you know, such a grand naming ship and everything. It'll, it'll reach out there. And then hearing that the ship sunk and it's like, oh, what a tragedy. And that was the last money I had. Now we're ruined. It's mm. like just all the, like, you know. Yeah. It just, I'm thinking more of like there's more than just like a loss of life. There was also like, oh, I bet there was some important letters there too or something or parcels or whatever they might have done. Yeah, definitely. So, <clears throat> you know, maybe that the whole materialistic thing, but again, the whole trying to send information before telephones and internet or radios could reach across the ocean and everything. It was like, yeah, trying to send information. It was like you had to do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah. By actually having somebody get their butt across the pond. Yeah, exactly. Which, by the way, can I just, can we just uh, go about that little phrase how um, 
in North America and Europe, it's like we call crossing the what is it, Atlantic Ocean, mm-hmm. the pond. I don't know. It's like one of one of the biggest journeys people can make across the ocean and everything, but we call it the pond. Like it's just some little like, oh yeah, you know, you just walk across it or something like that. Or yo, you just hop in this little paddle boat or something. It's like no, no, it's it's a big body of water. A yeah. lot can go wrong out there. Yeah. So, anyways, um, I digress. Moving on, TM. <laughs> yes, I'm still doing that. Excellent. <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> the way I can just tell it rolls your eyes. It's like you're just like, oh, you. <laughs> you're cute. All right. So. Let's talk about the history. Okay. What do you know? Okay. So I know that, like I said, she was commissioned by White Star Wine to be a part of the Olympic class. And what, these three ships were meant to bring in a lot of money for White Star Wine, right? This, they wanted the big bucks. And she was the second of the three ships that were a part of the Olympic class. She was built in Belfast by a shipbuilding company called Harlan and Wolf, with Thomas Andrews being the lead naval architect. Okay. Um, you might remember that if you saw the movie. He was played by Victor Gerber. Well, now, was he on the boat? or? Yes. Okay. He perished in the crash. Okay. Yeah. Um, once the ship was completed... Right, and actually, while they were building the ship, eight lives were lost just in building them. Oh. Yeah, and stuff. Um, And they actually had to change her maiden voyage date from... It got delayed twice, actually. And both times it was because the, the first ship, the Olympic, had gotten into some accidents. Oh. Yeah. And so they had to take pieces from the Titanic to replace the pieces on the Olympic. Oh, okay. And stuff. So I know that it was delayed once. The second time it was delayed. So it was delayed and then it was supposed to be, its maiden voyage was supposed to be March 20th. But it got delayed again till April 10th. Oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> And just to kind of rewind there a little bit to yeah. like the whole, you said eight people had lost their lives in the manufacturing of just this ship? Well, yeah, because you got to think about it. Like um, this ship, okay, let's get into some of the measurements of the ship really quick just so we can understand the extreme heights and whatever that people were working with. Yes. So this ship, long-wise, so from... Yeah. stern to bow? Yeah, 882.75 feet. Okay, so 882 feet and 9 inches. Yes. Now, <laughs> I gotta ask, 9 inches, really? I mean, Someone was being that specific? I mean, they wanted to be specific. I mean, okay, good on them for making sure that it was down <laughs> to the measurement and everything, but seriously, I've only seen 100 foot long tapes in my life. It's like not like someone's gonna take out a tape measure and like measure like, eh inch by freaking inch of this boat it's like just say 883 feet you know if you're off by three inches over 800 feet is not that big of a deal especially if you're just boasting oh yes our ship's 883 feet long it's like someone's gonna see the size of this boat and go yeah okay i believe it <laughs> yeah it, it, it's not like someone's like oh hold on a second to commit you know tax and insurance policies and blah 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 we have to measure out every foot of this thing yeah anyways i digress on that <laughs> little detail but Really is like someone actually went down to the inches of measuring this boat. It's so big. Mm-hmm. 
But anyways, okay, sorry. So from front to back or stern to bow, whatever the phrase is. Yeah. Now, fun little fact we learned is that the, they don't call it a width of a ship. They call it the beam. Yeah. So wide, it was 92 <clears throat> feet 6 inches. Again. <laughs> but, I mean, at least that one, there's a little more pl uh, plausible in a way, I guess you could say, because the whole, like, it's less than 100 feet to be like, hey, we're going to measure it out kind of thing. And I, I had 100-foot tape measures and stuff. But kudos for being super specific to make sure you get down to the inches. But that just seems a little anal retentive. But then again, you are talking about, like, the 1910s English and Irish, and they're yeah. very, you know... Fun-loving people and everything, but when it comes to the rules and stuff, they can be quite uh, stern and strict. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> sorry, it's, carrying on. It's okay. And so, the height of it, so just from, like, the bottom of the boat to the top of the boat was 104 feet. But if you went... A... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, 104 feet, no inches? No inches. Okay, now this number, okay, I see how it is, I see how it is. <laughs> um, and then if you went... Took it a step further and you went from the keel to the top of the funnels, it was 175 feet. Mm -hmm. So, like, those tunnels alone were like 71 feet tall. Yeah. Now, the more important reason why to know how tall the um, smokestacks or uh, what were they called? Funnels. The funnels, yeah. The reason why it's important to know how tall those are is because, in case of trying to, you know, for future references, like if, the, if this if the Titanic hadn't sunk and everything, if it had to go under certain bridges or whatever, even though there's like types of bridges that have draw bridges and stuff, you still have to know what your maximum clearance is. So when you're trying to go through a spot, yeah, you you're not going to start, you know, taking things out or scraping along the bottom of things and then have a huge repair bill on your hand. Exactly. So I think, I mean, unfortunately, like eight people lost their lives. To be honest with you, I was a little surprised when I, had learned that, that it wasn't more people, just because, I mean, they first started building the Titanic in 1909. Yeah. So, really, what kind of safety precautions did they have back then, right? Like, I'm sure they weren't on harnesses up there putting rivets on the boat, right, and stuff, so... Well, because, like, here in Canada, we have uh, OH&S, Occupational Health and Safety. Yeah, and they have that down in the States as well. And I stuff. think they call it, like, uh, not... OSHA. Um, it's OSHA in the States. Oh, yeah, Occupational Safety and Health or whatever. Yeah. But anyways, the point is, is that there's still, like, these regulations, but those didn't exist until long after this, so... Yeah. And that... And when people think about the, like, OSHA or OH&S or anything like that... Is they're like, oh, a bunch of pain in the asses or whatever. It's like, yeah, but when you're talking about life and death scenarios in factories and stuff like this, and yeah. all kinds of hazardous materials, I'm, I'm not saying they're the greatest thing since sliced bread or anything. It's just when it comes to the choice between working somewhere and dying and not dying, I'd kind of like to go with the not dying option, please. Yeah, definitely. So, but, you know, maybe I'm just a coward like that or a wimp, but, you know, death is kind of a permanent thing, unfortunately. Yeah. It's like the whole, unfortunately, you just can't just, oh, put in new batteries, reset the person, they're good to go, we're not robots. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, so eight people lost their lives and yeah. uh, RIP, even though it was well over 100 years ago, but still, yeah. it's sad to hear that 
doing something on such a grand scale, especially for the times, that there were these tragedies. Absolutely. So, continuing on. Yeah. So, the captain that they decided to have captain the Titanic for at least her maiden voyage. There's conflicting stories about whether or not he was going to retire after the maiden voyage or if he was going to continue to captain the ship, but was one Edward John Smith. Mm. And he was known as a quote-unquote safe captain. Right. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> he had joined White Star in 1880 when he was 30. Oh, okay. Right. And he had been sailing since he was 13 and had become an apprentice when he was 17. So he had plenty of experience. Yeah, he's probably seen some stuff go down and knew how to handle himself. Yeah, he was, like, considered a really, really good captain. He hadn't ever had any real issues, right? Uh, he had also been a part of the Navy and actually retired from it when he was, um... Oh, I don't remember now. Um, but he retired from it shortly. I think it was in 1905 he retired, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And stuff uh, from the Navy. Um, and he, when he retired, he was a commander. So he made it up to that rank, right? Yeah. And he had also received an award, which was the Decoration of Officers of the Royal Navy Reserve. Which, I mean, I'm not quite sure how the British are in regards to this, but I know it's like with most uh, titles, the more words you put in, the more fancy you make it sound, it's kind of one of those, oh, it makes something sound grandiose and very bravado or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of a over-exaggeration. But the British back in those days, it was like they were very, like, respectful, you know, somebody earns these titles kind of yeah. thing. So having a name that, uh, again, grandiose of yeah. uh, a compilation, kind of like a waterfall of words in a way. <laughs> <clears throat> But they were all very commanding and dignified titles. Yeah. That I think definitely um, is something that doesn't... Yeah. Officer of the of the Royal Navy Reserve. Which, Naval. Or Naval Reserve. Um, is something to kind of like obviously say that he has... He's not active in the military. Like just with the reserve part there by the sounds of it. But he knows how to handle large ships. And being part of the royal means that, you know, it's he's part of Great Britain's yeah. uh, kind of like uh, association. So, very respectable person and title in that regards. Mm -hmm. Now, I was just doing the math in my head in regards to uh, this uh, John Edward Smith. Edward John Smith. Or Edward John, or Edward John Smith. Sorry. Mm -hmm. That's words. okay. English is hard. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we know far too many, many Johns in our life as well, so I can see why you thought it was John first. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Uh, so, <coughs> he was 30 when he joined in 1980. Yeah. And the maiden voyage... 1880. Or 1880, sorry. Yes. Uh, in 1880, he was 30. Yes. And then, it, so he died on the maiden voyage, which yes. was 1912. So that is 32 years later, so that was 62 years old. Yes. I honestly think that if that, that should have been his retire, like, I mean, just maybe from a personal perspective... 
you're 62 years old, you've had this very long career working as a captain of ships and everything, and you have a very prestigious title. Yeah. The greatest way to end your career would be to captain the maiden voyage of one of the Olympic-class uh, star, white star liners to the Americas. And it's just, that's such an incredible, like, uh, fin- or fi- finale-, finale of his career. Well, he actually captained the first one, the Olympic, as well, on its maiden voyage, and for a while oh. afterwards. So that's why, like, some things are in dispute, because some people thought he was going to retire after the Titanic, but some thought he was going to go on and wait for the Botanic. Oh. And maybe captain that one as well, because he would have only been about 65 by then. And, mo- I mean, retirement age now, I don't know what it was back then. It was then. about 65. It was about 65, right? That, yeah, that number 65 really hasn't changed for most retirements. The only yeah. thing is, is that... Not going to get into economics very much, but most people have what's called retirement jobs, and I'm digressing there. Oh, yeah. So, anyway, that's what the kind of, like, nobody for sure knows whether or not he was planning on retiring. Right. But it's thought that he may have been thinking of retiring after the maiden voyage of the Titanic. Yeah. And um, so there had been a few issues when he captained the Olympic. Yep. There had been a couple accidents, hence why the... Titanic was delayed? Yes. And stuff. However, I guess you could blame the accidents on the Olympic, but it's more the Olympic size. Because, so one of the things um, about these ships is just the amount of pullback or suction that they had Mm -hmm. from the displacement of the water. Yes. Right. So that would actually cause... Um, like one of the incidents was on the maiden voyage. Everything went fine with the Olympic on the maiden voyage. Yep. Right up until the point when they were trying to um, actually dock. Right. So they had twelve tugboats that were like around, assisting it. Yeah. And one of the tugboats, because of the uh, suction, I guess, or whatever, yeah, actually got spun around and hit another boat. Oh. And then got pinned under the Olympic. Um. I think it was its propeller for like a hot minute. Oh. Yeah, which is part of the reason why they had to get parts for it, right? It, like it was able to limp back, but it, they had to fix did, it. Okay, did the sailors on the tugboat jump off and survive, or was it just I so don't quick? know. Okay. I'm I just, hope I'm, so. Uh, yeah, because I'm thinking is like, especially when your boat gets turned around like that, you're just like, well, uh, I believe to coin the phrase of what's being said nowadays, fuck this shit, I'm out, and die. <laughs> you're like, swim for your life, boy. Yeah. And then, um, sorry, I can just look up what the other incident was really quick. Uh, we are using Wikipedia as one of our sources. Uh, okay. So there was something called the Hawk incident that also happened with the Olympic. Mm-hmm. And it was on September uh, 20th of 1911. Okay. So... So this was only about like several months before the actual incident, or before the I mean maiden voyage of the Titanic. Yeah, yes. it was about six months before I would say. Um, so it looks like there was an HMS Hawk, yeah, warship. That yeah, it looks um, like a warship. I. Uh okay. So, the aft end of the boat, they, like, lost that. Ooh. And collided with the Olympic. Mm-hmm. 
And so two of the compartments on the Olympic filled up with water and I guess there's like propeller shafts on the Olympic yeah, as well. Because like from the engine there's yeah. like a it's like a, it's like on a truck or a car, like with rear wheel drive, there'd be a drive shaft yeah. that spins and everything to make the thing you're the propelling. propellers work, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that one of those got twisted. And um essentially the Navy blamed the Olympic because of its size and again the sunk the suction. Yeah. Right? Pulled the hawk into the side of the boat. Right. And uh yeah, so the ship was again able to limp back to Southampton, but it had to, they had to use Titanic pieces to replace it. Right. And I mean, so this is of course again turn of the century type thing. Uh you've got these ships that are on scales which have never been really dealt with before. Of course there's gonna be hiccups and of course everyone's gonna be immediately to point the finger at somebody else for something going wrong. Yeah. Especially with back in those days when it was like everybody wanted pristine, clean, awesome records on their titles and everything like that. So, especially in the military and especially with this grand cruise line, like everyone wanted to say, oh, it wasn't my fault, it was their fault, or what, you know, it was his fault, or blah, blah, blah. It's like, I mean, I feel like people just didn't understand is like on the scale how much like size and yeah. room and everything. And you were saying drawback from or the suction from the water. Yeah. There was just these things that people haven't dealt with, and especially on such scales. Exactly, right? And so I do think the Navy was right. It probably was the Olympics. Well, not purposely, but just, like, with the amount of suction, right? Yeah. And stuff. So... It's literally, it was just so such a big boy ship that it yeah. just sucked it all in. It was like, oh, well, yeah. not used to this. Used to the Navy ships being the big boys. Exactly, right? So, even though those incidents had happened and uh, Captain Smith had been the one that was at the helm, if you will, of the Olympic at the time... He was still the most experienced captain that they had. Yeah. At White Line or White Star, sorry. So <laughs> White Star Line. So they Again, English is hard. It is hard. Um so they decided anyway to have him captain the Titanic for the maiden voyage. So that's kind of the background of the history of it. Cause now we're getting into April tenth. So this is what, a few days before the voyage or the day of? It's the beginning of the maiden voyage. Okay. When she's gonna, she leaves Southampton, England, mm-hmm. to make her way across the Atlantic mm-hmm. to head to New York. Yeah. And she was carrying roughly 2,200 passengers and crew. Which, I mean, that is a lot of people. Yeah. Even nowadays, putting 2,200 people on even uh, luxury, or not a, a recreational or just a vacation cruise line type thing. Yeah. I'm not sure what those ships have, but 2,000 people is still a lot of people. Yeah. That's like, that was like my graduating classes in school. Like, it was crazy. So. Yeah, no, I, I graduated in a small little town out in the prairies. Yeah. So my graduation class was literally 34 people. 17 guys, 17 girls, even. Wow. Yeah, it was easy to figure out, you know, who sat next to who and, you know, for the, like, big dances and everything. It was pretty easy to find a partner. But, again, 
The, yeah. the scale difference is like the whole, oh, I had the small little itty bitty dinky kind of tugboat thing and you had the Olympic or Britannica sized one and it was like, yeah, that that's a big boat. Mm-hmm. Big graduation. Yeah. Okay, moving on, TM. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what do you want to know? Okay, so... Well, let's... hold on, before you ask your question. Okay. Let me just give a slight bit more information. So she left on her maiden voyage April 10th. There was like a slight incident. Um, on the departure? Yeah. And stuff where basically they almost got into like an accident with another boat, but they didn't. And then they stopped and picked up some final passengers. Right. In... I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, and I'm really, really sorry. Cherbourg, France, and Queenstown, Ireland. And then they went full speed to New York City. Oh, okay. Yes. Because <clears throat> uh, I was thinking, like, even though the Atlantic Ocean is big, like <laughs> five days later to yeah. hit the iceberg, that's, uh, that's a big difference between point A and point B type thing. Yeah, definitely. So they had made a few stops. Okay, so on April 14th, right? Yep. Just before midnight, the Titanic hit an iceberg. And that hit was devastating. Yeah, it wasn't just like some fender bender type thing. This is like, uh, like the whole classic samurai thing where it's uh, they hold the sword out sideways and cut through something uh, the long way and everything. Everything, yeah, kind of like spills out of the whatever they were cutting. Mm-hmm. So exactly right. So eleven forty p.m. on the ship's time, right? Because I mean, it's in the middle of the ocean, so you just got to go by what the ship said. Um. Hits the iceberg. Two hours and 40 minutes later, it sunk. Like, completely sunk. That's a long time to go down. Um. I mean. I don't feel like it is when you're an 882-foot boat. No, but again, at the same time, I'm thinking, like, with how bad the damage was, especially when with historical records and what yeah. people talk about of it, it just sounds like... Two hours and forty minutes to go from on the o- like floating on the ocean to under the water. Yeah, that is a slow sink. I mean, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Um, I feel like it was quite quick for the size of the boat, but that's I guess just me. Um, one of the things was is that it had sixteen compartments. Yeah, and uh, too many of the. Compartments got punctured, yeah, and it caused it to sink. Um, and unfortunately, out of the estimated two thousand two hundred twenty people, or sorry, two thousand two hundred people that were on the boat, uh, well, it was 15, about yeah, So they've been a little bit of conflicting numbers, to be honest with you. Right. And you see a little bit of different 
numbers, if we go by history.com's numbers, then there was 2,240 passengers and crew on board, and more than 1,500 passengers and crew died. Yeah. <clears throat> so, one thing I want to say about the whole why these numbers are kind of conflicting is because um, maybe White Star uh, Cruise Lines wanted to have... I mean, obviously, Maiden Voyage and everything. You, you, you're going to have one people wanting to pack in there. And you're thinking, oh, if I can make a couple extra hundred pounds, uh, well, dollars or whatever kind of thing, you know, the currency of the time. If we can make all this extra money by putting a few extra people into, like, what well, was the two-bedroom thing, but we put four people in because they share the half-bed or the, you know, beds or whatever kind of thing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Just cram as many people as we can in. But, of course, you want to make this luxurious and you don't want to over, you don't want to also have run out of food halfway through the voyage. Yeah. So, of course, you know, they were probably cramming a few extra people in, but nothing too bad. Yeah. And then there might have also been stowaways. Yeah. So, in regards to that, it's like exact numbers. It's not like somebody, you know, had an ideal perfect count, but they knew roughly how many people would fit on the boat and how many people would be, you know, uh, how many people signed on. There's a lot of variables that will sway the number a few ways whatsoever, but... The fact is, is that approximately more than 1,500 people, which is a lot of people to lose in one tragic accident. Yeah. And again, there's no way to, you know, put any kind of positive spin on this horrific tragedy that other than, you know, maybe global warming will make it so this never happens again. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to put like some kind of positive flip note on this, like, hey... Maybe doomsday isn't so bad, mm -hmm. but no, it, it's it's all tragic and it's all very sad, but it's important to look back on it, remember it, and learn from this, and there have been great advancements in a lot of things to make it so stuff like this never happens again. Yeah. Moving on. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so... So, really quick, I had said earlier that um, these were almost like a direct response to other shipping companies boats that they had coming out or whatever yes so uh just in looking in my research um the name of the other ship company that they were really up against was called cunard shipping okay and they had two magnificent i guess or big <laughs> or great or grand or whatever liners right now i know how to say the one i don't know how to say the other one okay where is it okay so the first one is this one <clears throat> The Mauritania, I believe it's called. Yeah, Mauritania. Yeah. And then the Lusitania. Yep. Those were the two boats that Cunard had put out. And then, <laughs> I haven't mentioned his name yet, but I'm going to mention it now. Um, his story is actually super sad, but J. Bruce Ismay, who was the chief executive of White Star, was like, how dare Cunard put out these boats? We will put out better. And that's how they came upon. So. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Um, the numbers on death, or were we talking about the numbers of death? Sorry, I just had a huge brain fart there. Yeah, we um, just, I just finished explaining about, like, Cunard. Yes. Um, okay. So let's talk about now, so when it left England, 
it swung around to pick up people in France and as well as Ireland. Yeah. And then began the long trek towards... Uh, uh, New York. New York, right. Yeah. I, I was just... <clears throat> since it didn't really make its destination, it was kind of like the whole, like, really the detail of where it was going wasn't quite that important, at least to most, mm-hmm. you know, people like me who were like, oh, the tragedy of it was more important than the destination. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about... Um, I just can't help but think, like, how fast was this boat going? Uh, so, okay, um... I can tell you that. It was going fast. It was going... Because I, I do remember in the, what was it, uh, James Cameron movie that yeah. did it, they were talking about, oh, well, we're a little behind schedule or whatever. Not behind schedule, but they were thinking if we get there earlier than expected... Then it will have more accolades. Yeah, they'd yeah. be like, not only is this ship so big and grand and safe and everything, but it got to its destination this much quicker and... Oh, it's such an incredible line and such a engineering feat and everything. How could this, you know, mm-hmm. everybody would just be in awe and, uh, I'm losing my words here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Impressed by it. They would have been really impressed by it because they made it early, right? That's one of the things, I don't know if that's for sure. I mean, there was also, so, okay, you asked how fast it was going. Would have been going probably between 21 knots and 30, sorry, 23 knots. Okay, that's right. not that much of a, okay. So, 21 knots is roughly 39 kilometers an hour or 24 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. 23 knots is 43 kilometers an hour or 26 miles per hour. Right. Okay. So, it's not that fast, like, compared to vehicles, right? Like, 39 kilometers an hour isn't fast. No. Right, like our school zones are 30 kilometers an hour, right? But out on the ocean, that's that's pretty fast for its time, right? And especially it's such a large ship and everything. Exactly. And they would have been traveling somewhere between the cruising and the maximum speed. Yeah. Right. And so you were saying, like, why that that is a theory as to why they were going so fast. Another theory that's been put forth by some titanic experts if you will is that also when they were leaving southampton there was a fire that started and that wasn't unusual with the stoking in the boiler boilers and stuff embers fall out of the yeah yeah so there was like a fire that they got under control and you know captain smith and some other people went and took a look at it and they were like no it's fine just control it Right. Yeah. But some experts think that it actually became uncontrollable while they were on sea. So they were trying to fly to New York, right, before this became crazy uncontrollable. Oh, okay. Right, and stuff. So that's like a theory that's been posited um, as to why they were sailing so quickly. Regardless, they were sailing pretty quickly for being iceberg season, if you will. Okay. Right. Yeah, because, like, icebergs are uh, breaking off of the Arctic, uh, I guess you'd say, coast or whatever. Like, um, So, from what I remember seeing in a documentary that came out right around the same time as James Cameron's um, movie, it was a National Geographic <laughs> um, look at the Titanic. Yes. Um, that actually my dad bought me for my birthday. <laughs> And stuff. Um, that was they, nice of them. 
Yeah, it was awesome. I really appreciated it. And stuff. What they think that the iceberg that hit the Titanic was one that was actually off of kind of like the North Pole. Yeah. And it worked its way down. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and the, the reason why I bring that up is that even back then, it's like, I mean, not going to go into things about nowadays, but icebergs breaking off of uh, the North Pole and everything isn't some freakish uh, phenomenon or something like that. It's literally something that happens every single time. It's just the size of this iceberg mm -hmm. was pretty big. Yeah. And of course, the reason why I was also bringing up the question about how fast that iceberg was, or how fast the Titanic was going, yeah, was that, uh, as anyone knows about, you know, mass times velocity equals force, mm -hmm. fun little scientific thing for you, is that, so when you have that much, like, you know, energy pushing you forward and you've got all that weight, yeah, trying to turn something that is meant to go essentially just straight. Like, it has the ability to turn, but it's not like speedboats where they can turn real quick and yeah. dart around things. This is something where it's like, you got to know what's ahead of you for the next four or five miles or, you know, six or seven kilometers. Yeah. To, so this way, it's like if something goes awry, you have time to react. It's not you're trying to do something split second because boats that big and turning they don't you they're not known for that kind of thing yeah so how big uh, was essentially or roughly because i'm not I'm, i have no idea if they even know how big that iceberg was but do they have a rough idea uh yeah they think it was anywhere between 200 and 400 feet big like the from like the water to the top of this iceberg um okay so Um, it was 50 to 100 feet high. Oh, okay. And 200 to 400 feet long. So I'm assuming that's out of the water with the 50 to 100 feet. Yeah. So then you got to think about the amount of icebergs that's under the water as Cause, well. Because I think it's supposed to be like a kind of like 10% of an iceberg is what's popping out of the water. The other 90% is underwater. Mm-hmm. So an iceberg that's, you know... Uh, the hundred feet, or fifty to one hundred feet tall, and you know, however, two hundred to four hundred feet long. Yeah, that's a pretty big chunk of ice, and if that's only like a tenth of it, kind of thing, that was a pretty big hunk of ice. Yeah, well, and there was pictures that were like printed in newspapers and stuff of the supposed iceberg. Yeah. The problem with that though is that there were several icebergs in the vicinity, so they don't know that that was the actual one that hit the Titanic, right? Yeah, it's not like uh, the Titanic's name was plastered right on the side, like it hit the Titanic and there's an indent saying Titanic right on the iceberg. Yeah. And it's not like a video game where it's like, kill count, and the iceberg has this, you know, huge body count above it kind of thing. Exactly. It's just a random floating chunk of ice in the water, so mm -hmm. maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Okay, so figure that even if speed was or was not a factor into why the Titanic and the fire that might have been happening in the engine room. Mm -hmm. So the other thing is, is that, like I said, 
you got to know what's in front of you for a very far distance because turning is not an easy thing. Yeah. Uh, there has been rumors or talk of the guys in what's like, I can imagine would be the crow's nest. Yeah, it was that called would, the crow's nest. Yeah, that they would be sitting very close to the front of the ship, very high up to see far ahead. Mm-hmm. And but they didn't have their binoculars, if I remember correctly. You saying? Mm-hmm. So I've actually read, and like we're gonna try, we're gonna link some of this stuff obviously in our show notes. But I've actually read. I haven't read it all because there is literally thirty six days. Well, there's eighteen days of the American inquiry, and then there's thirty six days from the British inquiry into this accident, right? Oh, yeah, because people want to know the facts. Like, they're like, what the hell happened? Exactly, and stuff. And so, and it's multiple witnesses, right, and everything like that. But I have read some of the, it's called the uh, titanicinquiry.org. I've read some of the pages of that, right? Mm -hmm. So, essentially, what happened was at 11.40 p.m., a guy named Frederick Fleet Mm -hmm. was the guy on the crow's nest. Okay. Right. And he notices something in the distance. So he calls. He rang a warning bell three times. And that was the signal that there's something dead ahead. Yeah. Right. And then he also called the bridge, like telephoned them, and was like, ah, there's something straight ahead. Yeah. Like you see in the movie, essentially. It was bing, 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 right? Iceberg, dead ahead. Yeah. Right. And stuff. Unfortunately, he did not see it in time. And you're right, because he didn't have binoculars. Right. Yeah. And I believe that that was actually something that I learned from this inquiry. Yeah, because even though being like further up on the boat in the crow's nest... Um, being higher up to see further ahead, because despite what some people might think, curvature and everything, um, you know, there's still, it's still a long distance off for further ahead. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, right? And so, um... Oh, what was I going to say? Oh, but the one we were just looking up, the titanicinquiry.org? Yeah. And again, this is another conflicting number of how many people were on the boat, because it just said 2,208 passengers, or people, like, plus crew and everything. But, so again, like, the numbers kind of fluctuate a little bit, but essentially 2,200 plus people. And again, the how many people perished then is 1,500 plus. The plus sign is because accurate counts are hard to come by, because this is... Essentially out in the middle of nowhere, and it's not like somebody was keeping a tally book, like going, oh, another person, another person, another person. It was just, they kind of know roughly how many and blah, blah, blah. The the plus is not to be a sign of disrespect. It's to show that, uh, you know, things could have gone wrong, and you don't know who, when, where, but you just know that this was a situation of, yeah... An exact count and everything doesn't make the tragedy any less horrific. Mm-hmm. It's just something you can't really pinpoint and be like, this is the exact count, this is the exact figures, this is the exact numbers, of sp- this is how fast the boat was going, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So you, uh, but yeah, now I believe you, 
have found something to kind of... Well, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the factors, right? Because, yes. like, people are going to be like, well, why didn't Frederick Fleet let them know ahead of time? Right? And there were many factors that played into, and this is what I think you were talking about when you were like, it's a whole bunch of fucked up. Yeah, the perfect storm this. of it. Yeah. So, first off, on the crow's nest, they were supposed to have binoculars. Yes. There were binoculars on the boat. On the ship. Right? Mm-hmm. But they were in a locker on the crow's nest. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get into it because um, there was a guy that was supposed to be on the boat named David Blair. Mm-hmm. And he got reassigned to a different boat and forgot to leave the key. Oh. So they couldn't get to the binoculars. So now Frederick Fleet's up there and he's... Using his naked eyes. He's using his naked eyes, okay? So also, what I've heard, and I don't have um, anything that's like... Super definitive? Super definitive. It's what I've heard has, just in documentaries and things that I've watched in the past that may have contributed to this, was the conditions of that night. Yes. Right. So it was a really, like, clear night. Which sound, a... which the clear night sounds like, that wouldn't it have been easier to see the iceberg? Kind of, but it was also a very cold night. Yeah. And so the clear and cold made it so that, um, like, it was very still, the water. And so without there being a lot of breakage in the water, it's very hard to see things until they're, like, right there. Yeah. Right. That that was my understanding of what I had seen. I believe that might have even been posited in that documentary that I... The one I had talked about, the National Geographic one. Yeah. Right. Okay. Also, the speed. <clears throat> right. So, thehistory.com uh, article that we kind of using, um, says 22 knots is what they were traveling at. Okay. Um, which I believe was the 39 kilometers an hour is what they were. It would have been between the 39 and the 43. Yeah. Yeah. So, So. um, so also they were given multiple iceberg warnings. Right. But Less than an hour before the incident, there was a another ship, the Californian, who had radioed, like, that they had actually stopped because of the ice field. Right. Oh, okay. But I guess their warning didn't begin with a certain prefix. Oh, okay. Which was M- MSG. Which is Master Service Graham. Okay, I thought it was maybe the food preservative. Nope, nope, not quite <laughs> then. Uh, and it would have, um, I guess, made it so that the captain, right, had to, it would have had to have been Captain Smith who would have, like, acknowledged receiving that message. Yeah, because it's one captain speaking to another captain. Right, but be, I think, but because the MSG wasn't at the beginning of the message, um, the radio operator at the time, Jack Phillips didn't think it was really that important. Mm-hmm. And he didn't pass it along. Okay, so he didn't go up the chain of command to let the captain know, hey, um, yeah, so someone says there's a lot of icebergs ahead. Yeah. Okay, so another example of some stuff messing up, and I don't know, it's just the whole, you think that one of the biggest hazards of 
shipping or like sailing and everything would be to make sure that people know it's like, hey, icebergs and I guess you could say ocean storms or big waves are kind of the main things where it's like maybe the captain should know about the dangers and take the appropriate actions to inform people what to do and when to do it mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's like even if it is like kind of on the paranoid side, it's better to be overly cautious than to be sorry, and especially with such a horrific case of the Titanic's tragedy. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Okay. So another thing that could could have contributed to it yep. was that Titanic's builders tried to cut the cost. Oh, uh, friggin' course. Yeah. So, um... I mean, this is one of the things where it's like, okay, it's great that to have, like, um, competition in industries and markets and everything, because then it's like, hey, like, the other line you were mentioning, I can't remember, but they made the Majestic Cruise Lines, and then the uh, White Star uh, Cruise Line had the Olympic Cruise Lines uh, of ships and everything. Which is, like, great, because then they're going to try to make the bigger, better ships and everything. But unfortunately, the bosses are like, well, if we can save, you know, ten or, like, a few tens or th- hundreds of thousands of dollars kind of thing. It's like, yeah, but mm-hmm. build, you know, build a really good ship and it'll pay you back in dividends. Quality yeah. over quantity, guys. <laughs> Anyways, sorry, I digress. No, it's okay. Um, so, there were two material scientists. One named Tim Folk. I hope I said that right. And Jennifer Hooper. Yeah. McCarty. Uh, who... Hooper. That sounded like you said Hooper. 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 Yeah. McCarty. Okay. Who, um, once the Titanic was actually found at the bottom of the ocean, and they realized that it did actually break apart, that people weren't just kind of crazy from the inquiry. Yeah. And thinking that that happened, um... And they realized that it did actually come apart, right? They took a look at some of... Because there was over 3 million rivets in this ship, right? Which sounds like a lot, but for a ship that big... Well, I mean, it was a lot. What happened is when they examined some of the rivets that were brought up from the wreck... Yep. They found um, it had this big smelting residue Mm -hmm. known as slag. Okay. That can make metal split apart. Oh. And so that could have actually weakened parts of the hull that hit the iceberg, um, causing them to, like, break apart upon impact and may have been part of the reason why the ship split. Right. Okay. So, okay, I did actually find some concrete evidence about what I was talking about with the weather. Right. Yeah. So um, there were two studies done right around... Uh, 2012. Okay. Um, so the first one was saying that basically, um, the moon and the sun were really, really close, not really, really close, but came close to the horizon, the earth (laughs) actually that year. And it increased the gravitational pull on the ocean. Oh, okay. Right. So there were like bigger tides, rec- like record-setting tides and stuff, which may have caused an increased amount of floating ice. Yes. At that time. Right? More turbulent water breaking off icebergs. Yeah. Okay. So then the second study, which is the one that I had kind of referenced, but I, 
again, <clears throat> had heard about it in a documentary. Um, it was by uh, a man named Tim Moulton. Yep. Who is a British historian. Okay. Who basically said something called super refraction happened that night. And it was essentially that atmospheric conditions can cause that phenomenon. And it bends the light. Right. So it could have created like mirages or optical illusions. Okay. So even though the iceberg was like, it was like, say, uh, six kilometers ahead, plenty of time to see it or maybe make adjustments to like the cruising speed yeah. and uh, trajectory of the ship and everything. To all of a sudden now it's three kilometers ahead and there's no avoiding this collision. Exactly. Right. And stuff. So that could have, yeah, basically prevented Frederick Fleet, right, from seeing the iceberg clearly. Yeah. And it also could have made, like, it could have altered the Titanic's appearance, making it actually look closer and smaller to the Californian. Okay. So making them think that it was a, a different ship that wouldn't have had a radio because it was smaller. Oh, okay. Right. Which may have been why they weren't too concerned when the Titanic didn't really answer them about the iceberg call right and then it, before this i don't think ships were really that big either so yeah and i <clears> guess <throat> it was a little hazy that night i didn't realize that i thought it was clear but it says right in this article it says quote from their vantage point and with these hazy conditions when the titanic started to sink the californian crew would have thought it was merely sailing away which i mean i guess like quote i guess like from a certain distance and everything like yeah. whatever because, like, whatever mild amount of haze kind of thing, just over a prolonged distance yeah. begins to make things look a little uh, bleak or dismal. Like, in the way that it's, like, it's hard to get an accurate rough size estimate kind mm -hmm. of thing and be like, oh, she's sailing over the horizon or whatever, when really it's the fog and everything or well, whatever or whatever kind of, like, haziness. And especially if super refraction was happening, right, then that absolutely could have made that happen. Yeah. Right. And stuff. Um, also, yeah, um, um, there weren't enough fucking lifeboats. Yeah, so <laughs> first off, okay, we talked, there was roughly 2,200 people on the boat. Yes. Right? The boat actually had a capacity to have 3,300 people on it. Oh, so they weren't even filled to capacity. No. Oh. And they only had 20 lifeboats on it. 16 regular lifeboats and then four collapsibles. Oh, really? Yes. And that was the legal minimum for them to carry. And they did not want to carry more. <laughs> My understanding of it is, anyway, that they did not want to carry more lifeboats on that boat than was... Ne like than was necessary because they didn't want to clutter up the decks for the first class passengers. So hmm. the capacity of those 20 lifeboats was 1,178. Right. So you're sitting there looking at that numbers thinking, well, that doesn't make sense because only 700 people roughly lived survived. Yeah. That's because when those 20 lifeboats departed from the ship. Yeah. Guess how many empty seats there were? A uh, rough number in my head says about four, almost 500. Yeah. Some, yeah, about 400. Jeez. 
Um, they were not filling them to capacity. Well, okay. Now, I understand, like, from movies and a lot of people kind of quoting it uh, in everyday life and saying the whole, women and children first. Yeah. I mean, sure, you know, women and children first is very chivalrous and everything, but at the same time, load those suckers up kind of thing. Yeah, so part of the problem with that, too... Yep. Um, ...is that people didn't think that this was a big deal. They didn't understand that the boat was sinking. Oh, okay. So they'd be like, women and children all aboard, and they'd be like, do we have to? What an inconvenience. Oh, my I mean, I guess because wasn't there like a whole bunch of propaganda that wasn't start? I mean, I remember you saying it wasn't started. It wasn't stated by White Star. It was like a newspaper or whatever saying that it was the unsinkable Titanic. Yeah. So White Star, and I know this for a fact, White Star never put out there that it was unsinkable. Right. There was a newspaper that put out that it was, it would be nearly unsinkable. And okay. that stuck. Right. And stuff. Um. I mean, especially when you talk about it, it had like how many um, compartments it could seal off in case of uh, breaches or flooding or something. There like, was 15 or 16. I think it was 16 or something. Yeah. It was like, because it's like, it makes sense. Cause this is again, the um, uh, symmetrical loving fan of me where it's like, okay, you have one, like, you know, down the very middle of the ship and everything. And then you have compartment by compartment, like, um, yeah, starboard or starboard and to the bow. Um, no, no, cuz uh port and starboard. Cuz starboard is your right-hand side oh. and um port is your left side. Okay. Sorry. Nope. Fun little nautical fact for you. So, yeah, and that's another thing that was wrong. So those compartments mm -hmm. had watertight doors, right? Yeah. But they only went as high as the waterline. Oh. So if the boat started listing, yes. Right. And even then, it would have been okay if a certain amount of those watertight compartments. compartments had been flooded. But the problem is, as the Titanic started listing so much, that they just kept filling and filling and filling. Oh, okay. So it wasn't that the iceberg filled every one of those compartments up to that point. It's also that the design wasn't for all of them to be filled and no. then start listing. Yeah. So there's that, right? Man. And, um... See, I'm learning so much from you because, like, I knew shit hit the fan because obviously, you know, it went horribly, horribly wrong. But it's like it just sounds like I get like as I phrased it, the like the perfect shitstorm. Yeah. So. You're thinking you're. <clears throat> well, I'm just like. But now, whenever okay, so now whenever I see the movie or I see the images of the Titanic snapping in half, like you're talking about those rivets and everything. Yeah. That makes so much more sense. It's like, I understand that it's like, obviously, because the front part of the boat, you know, hit the iceberg and all the weight, the weight of the water was pulling it down and everything. Yeah. And it's like the back end. And like, don't get me wrong. It's like metal has a very high tensile strength, which is like the bending thing. Yeah. But of course it was like, well, eventually enough weight and whatever kind of thing will cause it to snap. But finding out that it was also shoddy worksmanship or, you know, under like, they kind of just tried to like, you know, cut the corners or whatever to do the job right. Yeah. Cause it to snap. Now, I'm not sure if that, you know, if they had done super great uh, rivet work on, you know. Other ships. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just talking on this ship here. It's oh. like if they hadn't done the whole slag thing or whatever you were talking yeah. about. 
It's like if that would have stopped it from snapping and maybe been better. I don't. I don't think it would have made a difference in no. the end. But just the fact that it's like, oh, that's why it snapped is like that makes so much more sense. I, I think it's what contributed to it snapping. I think it would have snapped regardless, honestly, because if you think about it, so half the ship is underwater and yes. the other half is standing almost straight vertical. Yeah. Right. And that's they a- know they know this happened. Like you can go online and see recreations of it. And stuff, right? Like, down to the minute, you can start and it will play how it happened, right? Yeah. And stuff. And they just know this from how the ship looks on the ocean floor, right? They've been able to... They can to... recreate the model and... And backwards, kind of... And yeah. going off of witness testimony and things like that, right? So, you have an 882-foot ship... And nine inches. And nine, inch- <laughs> and nine inches. If it didn't have that nine inches, let it me probably would have been fine. Snap. No. <laughs> Sorry, we're making light of just the just design. Just trying of the boat. to make humor out of something that, yeah. But uh, so you've got. <laughs> okay, let's maybe... say about four hundred ish feet. Yeah, so you got to imagine how I don't even know how much that four hundred feet of boat would have weighed. Some skyscrapers don't even stick out. Like I mean, some or some high rises. Don't yeah. even get up to 400 feet. I think maybe the Bow Tower down in Calgary, which is a huge building, and I've gotten vertigo just looking up at that sucker. It's like, whoa, getting dizzy, going looking all the way up into the sky to see this building. Yeah. And I would say that's probably close to 400 feet. So, I mean, or somewhat around that ballpark. I'm just estimating here. But still, 400 feet up, that's a long ways up. And it's not like it's perfectly, like, vertical. So there's a lot of, like, you know downward force being put on all the beams and everything inside of there uh oh okay you just actually looked this up for me thank you okay so the bow tower is actually almost the okay so from uh ground to top it's 774 feet so it's actually shorter than what the titanic was but longer than the 400 feet you were thinking it was yeah but i'm just saying is that the whole that is a really tall building and even if it's only about say two-thirds of the way yeah. Up uh, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, or not. Uh, yeah, just delete uh, Delete that one. Uh, yeah. Okay. We're just having a little fun here with the computer and everything. Just uh, looking up exact, like certain buildings that are 400 feet tall. Uh, if you go to that, yeah, or any one of these. Okay. So if this is correct or accurate, yeah, just click on the image. Uh, okay. And then go to the expand or yeah. Nope. I don't know what's happening. Okay. It doesn't matter. Okay. Anyways, uh, click the X. Yeah. And then, okay. Just click on that symbol there, I believe. Okay. Uh, anyways, just double, uh, I don't know, but, uh, okay. There we go. There we go. Okay. The, uh, Empire State Building. Yeah. Is almost 400 feet tall. So okay. people, people in the U.S. or anyone who's been there to see the Empire State Building, essentially imagine that is the part of the Titanic that's sticking out of the water, ass end up, and that's a lot of weight, like a lot of metal weight and everything, mm-hmm. the engine and all that stuff. Well, and it didn't go exactly vertical, right? So the problem is too is then you've got this boat lean. That's a, yeah, like it's almost vertical. But it's not quite, so it's got the lean, and that's putting all that pressure on the center of the boat. Yeah. And then it just snaps, right? Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Okay, so I think that's a pretty good spot to kind of, or do you want to go on to more about other things? 
because yeah knowing about the now that the why the hull like the watertight compartments didn't work like how they thought they would mm -hmm. uh, and everything uh we kind of talked about a lot of the details about the boat uh the history of the captain uh certain like during even just like the launching of the boat there has been incidents how mm -hmm. the history of this company a little bit yeah i think that's uh yeah you go to save yeah okay mm -hmm. fine um yeah i think that's pretty in depth into the actual facts or as accurate as we can be without being any kind of form of disrespect to uh the victims of what happened mm-hmm uh, but yeah, we're kind of planning on doing a part two about this, about the Titanic movie by, uh, James Cameron talking about, uh, there's been a lot of video game things. Like recently we saw, uh, the YouTuber Jacksepticeye do the VR thing where it was the Titanic experience, like, you know, taking a drone underwater to look at the sunken remains, which is fairly accurate to what, uh, deep divers have seen. Uh, you can actually do this like, sit-down experience where you hop on a lifeboat and watch the Titanic sink, which seems just horrifying. Mm -hmm. um, all these other things that have uh, kind of to do with a lot of this stuff. Big thing that I uh, want to say or point out is that um, in regards to this whole thing, we were definitely plan like we thought about this and we th I thought, hey, it'd be fun to do one about how people have depicted and talked about and shown the Titanic's uh, horrific sinking. Mm -hmm. And then we were like, well, first we got to do this. Yeah, first we have to talk about the history of it, I think, because um, although it's neat to think about how it's been done in media and stuff, um, it was a real tragedy and there were really like 1,500 people who lost their lives. That yeah, night. so... Needlessly and my opinion right yeah and without diving into that at first would feel like kind of a slap in the face yeah. to a lot of people so that's why we wanted to do this episode because we do plan to do a part two and everything yeah but of course i mean we're not sure when that's gonna be kind of done because there's also christmas coming around yeah. and we got a lot of things to do in our personal lives and we got to figure out topics we want to do for the whole seasonal thing yeah and so just really quickly to just wrap it up yes it was the Carpathia that actually came. It showed up at around four in the morning. Okay. And like the captain of the Carpathia yep. is basically like it's known that he was like, he thought he was going to be showing up to like the Titanic being like, like he thought the lights were out and stuff and that maybe it was like damaged. He did not expect to roll up on nothing but lifeboats. Oh, yeah. And he they pulled in roughly, like, 710 people, give, you know, give or take. And it was just crazy. And that's why they did the inquiries. And I highly recommend, highly recommend, if you are a Titanic nerd <laughs> like I am, go to the Titanic Inquiry Project and read, read it. It is so interesting and stuff. Um... Like, I'm going to be heading off to work here pretty quick, and uh, yeah. I can already picture you just sitting down and reading everything on this website. Yeah, and stuff, right? And, like, 
yeah, I'm just... So on our part... Heck, we, we might do a part three because there might be some things where it's like, hey... More info I can bring forth, right? Exactly. Stuff to kind of show. It's like how incredibly fascinating, but also tragic everything was and how it was just a clusterfuck of everything going wrong. Yeah. And what, you know... Uh, oh, right. One last detail. So the lifeboats and the boat that came up and, you know, saved all these people paddling away out in the middle of the ocean because, I mean, they didn't have compasses on those little lifeboats probably and didn't know which way to really go for the most part. No. So they're probably so far away that they were like, well, we're going to die out here unless somebody comes and saves our butts. Mm-hmm. Where did the survivors go? Because I was thinking, like, if the Titanic hadn't sunk, like, if it just been crippled or hobbled or fender bender, it could have probably hobbled back to port. Be it. They were taken to New York. Oh, they were taken to New York? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I thought that, that in Canada there was actual memorial for... Uh... There is. Um, I believe, though, that the Carpathia went to New York. Okay. So... Yeah, because if you remember... Actually, I don't even need to look that up. I was going to look it up. But I remember, if you go off of James Cameron's movie, yeah. when Rose is on the Carpathia... Yes. And she looks up and there's the Statue of Liberty. Oh, yeah. okay. So. And I think that with how well James Cameron did with that movie, that to oh. get a detail like that would not be something, like he wouldn't, he did a lot of heavy work to get he's, all the details. He's been down to the wreck site yeah. multiple times. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> if making, there's it's anybody like, who's a Titanic nerd... James Cameron is a Titanic nerd. Let me tell you. Like, he tried to be as factual in his film. The only thing that was bullshit was Jack and Rose. Like, those people didn't exist. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. We'll get more into it in the other episode. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, so much for tuning in and and going on this not-so-maiden voyage that, fortunately, did not end in tragedy, where 1,500 people lost their lives on the Mm -hmm. set of recording. Yeah. High five on that one. Hey, I mean, every every recording we do, if nobody gets hurt, nobody dies. Hey, that that's positive, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, a little pride hurt on me or you kind of thing. <laughs> but that that's only little details when we're like, oh, I thought I was right on this. Turns yeah. out I was wrong my whole time. And you've pointed out how I've been mistaken on things before. And that's mm-hmm. not a slight or anything. Exactly. So okay, we um, just definitely want to give, even though it was like almost 100 and 10 years ago, we do want to give our condolences to everybody who lost their lives. Also, in, like, the next episode, I do want to talk about a certain uh, special person who worked on the Titanic, so. Absolutely. All right. Well, look forward to part two and maybe even part three mm-hmm. uh, sometime in the near future. And just remember, no matter what your thing is or what you're into. At the end of the day, we're all just a little nerdy. <laughs>